little touch pass there. Benson waiting, cuts in, he scores! Oh my! Into the middle, holding, back, Toporowski shooting, shot block, got it back, shot, score! Center of pass forward, of stop, shot, back to play, score! In front, Groove scores! Jaden Groove scores the triple overtime winner. Welcome into WHL Unfiltered. Uh, pleased to be joined by a special uh, four man booth edition, uh, joined by two of the finest writers to ever work for the, the Brandon Sun in uh, Lucas Pankari and Perry Bergson, and also my lovely co-host, Sean Mullen. So, uh, Lucas, you always have a lot to say. Let's, let's start off with you. Well, um, I'm finally, I'm excited we're getting playoff hockey because it feels like it's been forever just waiting for some of this to get here since straight line because it's kind of felt like in certain parts, like, okay, we know who the movers and shakers are. Now we're finally at a point where we see who's got the most chips to fall where they may and see where it all ends up here in the next few weeks. And a couple of pretty interesting opening round matchups, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, during the course of this chat. Perry, I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I'll tell you, it, it feels like this season started about two years ago. And Sean <laughs> will tell you that probably he had some seasons like that. <clears throat> you know, I start working pretty much full time on the beat in mid August, third week of August. So by the time we get here, uh, there's not a lot of paint left in the car and the seat covers are starting to fade a little bit. So uh, this year I get a little longer break, which hasn't happened a lot here in Brandon over the years. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. to, to touch on the, the Wheat Kings, just because we have a couple of Brandon guys on here, I mean, what was... I mean, what was it like going through through this year with some uh, some, some turmoil there with the Wheat Kings? You know, looked like they had a chance to get in and kind of kind of faded late. I mean, let's maybe put, wrap wrap a bow on uh, on on the Wheat Kings. I think the thing that I noticed the most watching them this season was they were never quite the sum of all their parts. For whatever reason, they just never played up to I think what most people expected they would. Uh, you know, they had terrific goaltending, led up front by Nate Danielson, who would be a first-round NHL pick. Uh, you know, they had some guys who could score a little bit. They had some setup guys. Uh, I think their blue line maybe, you know, it didn't have a Braden Schneider on it this year or even a Chad Nychuk, Vinny Iorio, like they've had in recent years. Um, but they, they were just very streaky, and they – you know, in overtime or shootouts, they won one shootout, lost all eight games, decided in overtime. So they just weren't capitalizing on the chances they had. So, so in your mind, you know, it's always next to your country when your team is out, uh, didn't make the playoffs. I know in Swift Current, like as much as there's disappointment, 
they talk about how many guys can come back and how much talent can come back and you start trying to paint the rosy picture of what next year could be how, what's the feel and brand in that way you know it, it, is the core in position take a step forward or does the disappointment mean uh of this year mean maybe they're not quite the group is not quite what they hoped they'd be well here's the thing about junior hockey guys and all four of us have been around for a long time everybody on the team has to take a step forward you have to be a different player at 18 than you were at 17 and you have to be a different player at 17 than 16 and that is hard to predict you know, some players just never get better after they're 16 years old. So to me, it's going to be interesting to see how Brandon, kind of like uh, the new GM, Marty Murray, looks at this team going forward. Does he think that there's sufficient growth in the current group, you know, to take the team a big step forward next year? Or does he think there's some uh, pieces that need to be replaced, or, you know, and some problems that need to be fixed for them to take that jump? So who knows? I'm, again, it's hard for me to say because I don't see as much as Perry, uh, who's here every week. I'm there in and out when he's not there available doing road games. I think they can make playoffs next year. It's kind of hard to say if I'm looking at the rest of the conference at this point. You're only going to lose Calder Anderson, Nolan Ritchie for sure, or aging out. Uh, the 0-3 situation has to sort itself out a little bit. But you have enough guys that are coming back and impact guys too. Uh, you know, Danielson comes back after being drafted. Carson Bjarnason comes back. You got defensemen like Luke Shipley. Uh, he's coming back. Charlie Ellick and Quinn Manti continue to develop as youngsters. If those guys develop and some guys up front, like a Roger McQueen, for instance, they continue to step up their point production, they should make playoffs. I don't think they're going to be a contender per se, but I think they're a team that you know, are in that 5 6 range and then maybe makes a rise next year. If, like Perry said, those guys you expect to develop. To develop, but it's going to be interesting to see just how they address some of those holes, and you have some younger guys that are coming in too. If they make the roster next year or not, from the guys that they drafted the last couple of years. Well, I mean, if there's anywhere in our circuit that understands the you know ups and downs in the cycle of of uh, this league, it's going to be the Wheat Kings fans, but also not a group that's had to deal with with uh, losing seasons real often over the over the last number of years. I mean, it seems like we talk about Kelly McCrimmon every every show at some point and uh, here he is. But, you know, I mean, they're 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 uh, they have high expectations there in the in the Keystone Center and and I'm sure that that's, you know, it's probably not sitting well with with uh, with the locals that, you know, the way the season ended. I think they're getting a little frustrated, you know, that's the the problem with success is expectations are so high all the time. You miss the playoffs four times in 30 years. You know, the fans are going to get a little restless at times. And, and uh, you can especially hear that sometimes with Brandon just failing to struggle or failing to convert on chances. He created so many chances this year, but just couldn't finish them. <laughs> and you could just hear audible gasps from the crowd and kind of annoyance at times this year. Uh, I think they didn't have a lot of natural snipers. I think they had a lot of guys who would rather make that primary pass for the goal than actually get the goal themselves. So that's also something that's going to have to sort itself out. Although they have a terrific young goal scorer coming in and uh, Jody Baumuller that, uh, you know, he'll be in his 16 year old season next year. Uh, you know, in the more distant future, he could be one of the trigger men this team sorely, sorely missed. Well, 
and I'm sure Sean doesn't want to talk about it, but you know the uh, the 61 points a week Kings uh, uh, acquired, you know, would uh, would have put them in the playoffs out west. But that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> well, and and here's the thing: um, it, it's kind of an under understated thing, and something fans won't take much solace in. But if you happen to finish ninth or 10th instead of 7th or 8th, sometimes that's better in the Eastern Conference because if you, I mean, depending on how competitive you are, playoffs is a good experience, don't get me wrong. Um, but if you have your own draft pick, which the Broncos don't, so they're not happy about that part of it, but if you have your own draft pick, you finish out of the playoffs, you get into the lottery, but you're ninth or 10th, you still get paid because of the imbalance of the conference. You're getting some playoff money but you don't have to pay the travel expenses. And a lot of times, if you're that seven or eight seed, if you're going to lose in four or five games and you get your your playoff games on a Tuesday and Wednesday, you're not getting great crowds. You're paying for travel. It ends up costing you to be in the playoffs more than it does profit. So Brandon and Swift Current might actually do okay financially by finishing ninth and 10th versus seventh or eighth. Plus, you're not getting absolutely destroyed, which you could be if you're the eight or the seven seed this year. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, I actually didn't mind, to be honest with you, just what I'd seen of Swift Current playing in Winnipeg. I didn't mind Swift against Winnipeg if that had been the matchup because they they'd seem to be able to frustrate them with their size up front. But they probably aren't winning that series, and, and really, when it gets down to brass tacks and playoff time, those top teams are really good. And so if you lose in four or five games, yeah, it's a good experience to have. But financially, it's probably not great. So ninth or 10th, as long as it stays imbalanced conference to conference, which it may not, given all the rumors about Winnipeg, um, as long as it stays imbalanced, it's not the worst place to be. Well, this this year in the East is a little different, too, in that, you know, with Saskatoon being as good as they are and Red Deer winning the division, I mean, you know, Saskatoon had – you know, eleven more points than, uh, or nine more points rather than than Red Deer. I mean, they were, you know, five more wins, and so, you know, if you're Regina, that that six seed, I mean, you have a, you know, on paper anyway, a much tougher draw than than Calgary does in the seven seed. I mean, it's a it's a you know a seven point difference as far as, uh, you know, between the, the the difference between the two. And if you know, and, and and that was another thing I thought about too a lot with with Saskatoon. You know how how fortunate it is the team with the with the biggest building. You know, outside the Saddle Dome, uh, the, the team with the biggest building has the Connor Bedard show coming in. I believe they've had the biggest the biggest crowds in Saskatoon history in the last couple of games against Regina. And and how excited are they to get you know two or three more of those games here coming up? I mean, I don't, I don't know who wants to jump on that. Go ahead, Lucas. I was going to say, yeah, it is the biggest crowd because I actually looked this up because I was interested in what it was. And I was doing some research for my uh, podcast I do, which was the sports show that did an 09 Canes and Blades game. And yeah, the previous attendance record before Bedard Mania last weekend was a 25th anniversary game in 2013, which the Blades were facing Leftbridge. I was with a Saskatoon team that was hosting them coming on that ridiculous long win streak. Just kind of two things combined into that one there. But yeah. That's, I mean, that Saskatoon Regina series for me, not just in the dub, but I think an entire CHL is the most intriguing first round. And not just because it's a Connor Bedard experience, obviously, just that 
you know, you have Regina there and you have a Saskatoon team that in a way kind of reminds me of that 2019 team that was second best in the Eastern Conference, a bit behind PA, but you know, Saskatoon could have beat PA in that series. They just ended up running into a PA team that kicked back into gear after losing a couple of games uh, in Saskatoon. So, yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see how the series is going to play out. I mean, if it turns into a track meet, which I think it could at times, that might be a Regina a little bit. But if Saskatoon's able to shut them down, then it's like, okay, how long is this actually going to go here for Regina? And I know Perry and I have talked about this in the office. just like, I could see Regina win this series, but I don't have the guts to pick it for public publicly. Well, the fact that Saskatoon won four of the six games this season, too, uh, that means something to me. Um, mm-hmm. They've held Connor Bedard in six games to nine points, so that means they're doing well. Actually, he might have missed uh, one of those at least. Um, so that that's not bad because these days, if you're holding Connor Bedard under about six points a game, you're probably playing pretty good defense. Well, I, I would point out, though, of those six games, and Regina to me was a different team in the second half of the season than they were in the first. And the the two that Saskatoon really dominated were in the first half of the season. And then after Christmas, they played four times and split those games, including two real close games towards the end of the year. So if I'm Regina, I'm not necessarily disappointed at Saskatoon versus Red Deer. Um, not that Saskatoon won't be the favorite. They certainly are. But there's less travel. There's the local rivalry, which is always good for the gate. And they're a team you've played well in the last few months. You've kept games close against. So you have a little bit of confidence going into those games. You know, I, I think Red Deer is a, a playoff-style team, and, and it would be a long trip and all that stuff. So I, I don't necessarily think it's a worse matchup. I think either way, they would be the underdog. But when you go 2-2 two and two against a team in the last couple months and you're playing the best hockey generally speaking, that they've played in years, it's not a bad place to be for the underdog. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you know, I'm no no expert on the Regina Pats, but I feel like they've been kind of hot towards the end of the year down the stretch. I, it seemed like they, you know, for a while they were in doubt of making the playoffs and then they kind of had a, a steady climb over the last couple of months. So, yeah, I assume they're feel, they are feeling pretty good about themselves and, you know, obviously, you know, they have the, you know, the, the, the Bedard factor going for them that, you know, you could just, I mean, any, anytime you walk into a, a rink and when you're going to get a couple of goals, no matter what, I mean, that's, I mean, that's got to help, you know? I was just looking at the season series here. And again, I think we're talking so much about Bedard, but it's so much, especially at this time of year, if you get that top line rolling, it's probably going to be really good, but you might not have to, a factor could be if they get the secondary scoring because you again, Look at the season series, and some guys played a couple games or missed the World Juniors, but Bedard had nine points in five games. Duzlev had seven. Hal had seven. Svozl had seven. Then you get Sam Marimba, who had four points in six games. And then the next guys on the list with two points are Zach Stringer, Broria Ballas, Parker Berg, and then still queering technically, but one of those points is when they played Everett. And Saskatoon played the one time early in the season. So I think Regina, obviously, if Bedard's going 19 points in the series, and yeah, they're probably going to be okay. But I think you're going to have to get the depth guys to step up for him. And then if you get Drew Sim to play, because Drew Sim's had games where he's looked really good, and there's games where it's like, oh, no. So that, I think, is probably the two X factors in the series if Regina's going to win it, besides Bedard going complete beast mode. Yeah, you know, Regina was 3-6-1-0 coming in, into the uh, end of the season. 
I don't know. Uh, to me, Saskatoon just has so much depth up front. Uh, I love Aiden de la Gorgendiere. I think he's a terrific defenseman. Uh, their goaltending has been fantastic. There's just a lot to, to really like in Saskatoon right now. That would have to be my surprise team of the year in the entire league. They've played so, so well. So to me, you know, even with the X factor with Bedard, Saskatoon's the team to be beat there. I was going to say, too, looking at the yeah, stats, yeah. if you had, sorry, Sean, if you had told me that Trevor Wong led the season series with 15 points, I'd be like, whoa, what? I like Trevor Wong, but I didn't expect 15 points in six games. Right. Seven goals, yeah. eight assists. I, I know Regina didn't close out the, like the last little bit as strong, but certainly their second half was a major step forward. They solidified themselves in, in six. They, they seem to develop a little bit of depth. Um, and again, you're not going to go against the team who's got the second best record in the conference necessarily. Saskatoon's had a great year. But the things that give Regina a puncher's chance are, you know, that they've played a lot better in the second half, that there is a little more scoring punch throughout their lineup than there has been. Um, that home ice advantage, when you look at the two teams, doesn't seem to really factor in much. Their records are fairly close whether they're playing at home or on the road. So that shouldn't matter a tremendous amount. And then, again, you have the best player in all of junior hockey and one of the best ever. That always gives you that opportunity. And and how will they answer that challenge? And the atmosphere will be different than a typical two, you know, three versus six first-round series. There'll Plus be a, a, lot, a lot more focus on it. You know, if you're Saskatoon, normally you go into that series, if you're playing uh, Calgary, you know, there's not a lot of hype around this first-round series. There's not a lot of focus on it. You can kind of go about your business. For them, all of a sudden, there's an extra spotlight on them and everything that happens in this series. So how does that team handle it? You know? Regina's used say, to that. Sorry, Sean. I was going to say Perry's experiences, too, of teams that have come in. Like, when Bedard's come in the second half, it's like a rock star experience, and half the crowd's there just to see him as opposed to the home team. Yeah, which is which is again going to factor in the, you know, they're going to have that nice, you know, full size barn to, to to fill, and you know that's the thing. I th- I think this conversation is kind of indicative of of the this the blades all year that we're talking about the blades, but we're not talking about the blades. You know, it's mm-hmm. I think they're kind of flying under the radar. I think, you know, if 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 you ask Brendan Sawney, I think he would tell you that they probably they're probably just fine with that. They go out and do their business. They win games. You know, people aren't really paying a lot of attention to him, doesn't seem like. And and I think that sometimes, you know, it's like the, you know, mid-90s New Jersey Devils or whatever. They're kind of in like a vacuum in a way. And I th- I think that, uh, you know, I, again, you, you got to be pretty good to put up 101 points in this league as, as a team. Absolutely. Don't sleep on Saskatoon. Yeah. Like- so boys, if we got series to go, we better get moving here. <laughs> Well, I mean, we did uh, we did talk about Bedard. That's you know, I mean, that's I try to every week. It seems like I try to re- not turn this into the Bedard show. But I mean, what do you what are you gonna do, right? Um, where do you guys where do you guys want to go after that? You want to go back to 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 Winnipeg? We we mentioned them briefly. Let's do that. Mets uh, hat Winnipeg. Is the, is the, let me ask you guys, as the Manitoba reporters, you know, a. There's so much talk about what's going to happen with the ice, and it's just speculation at this point. B, they don't have a great building. C, they don't have great um, market penetration. Is there any first-place team that you can think of in the history 
of the Western Hockey League that you're aware of that has less of a home ice advantage um, going into the playoffs, less excitement in their market than Winnipeg would have right now? I think those are two different things you're talking about there, Sean. Is there less excitement in the market? Probably. I think there might be some home ice advantage to the Wayne Fleming Arena for that ice team. You know, it's a small building. It's different than anywhere else you play. You know, it, it makes the uh, Swift Current building look like uh, Madison Square Garden. Um, and I think with that uh, fast skating team they have in Winnipeg, all those weapons, I actually think it it is a, a nice spot for them. It's just too bad you wish that that team could have been playing in front of 7,000 people the last two years because that has been an outstanding group for two years now. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us wondered, you know, when they were moving in to that market and you're competing with, you know, the AHL, the NHL, the, you know, U Sports and and even, you know, the 50 Below's, uh, you know, Junior B team that there's just – I, I we I kind of a lot of us wondered how how that was going to work, and so far it doesn't seem like it's working very well. I mean, the you know the the, the ice might have a fighting chance against against all of those teams. That's how good they they're playing this year, and but yeah, I mean it doesn't you know it doesn't seem like anybody's really noticing. Historically, Winnipeg, other than the Jets, has not been a hockey city. You know, nobody draws other than the Jets in Winnipeg, whether that's the AHL, Junior like Junior A, uh, U18, nobody else pulls anybody into their buildings. Well, and on the now, ahead, when it comes ahead, to Sean. Medicine Hat, I was going to say, when it comes to Medicine Hat, you know, it, the natural thing is to look at this team and say, they accomplished their goal. They're ahead of schedule. They, they made it into the first round on the strength of an outstanding second half. They're a young team that's building towards something with a great coach, and it seems like the future's very bright. But now you're coming up against the powerhouse and, you know, good night nurse. Is that where it stands? Or at the same time, when you're playing with house money, you've got Willie Desjardins on your bench, and it's a team that's clicked in the second half of the season with, pretty good depth among that young talent. Do they have uh, an opportunity to test a Winnipeg team that has been solidified in first place for months? Quick answer, no. Lucas? <laughs> Agreed. Uh, though, the way you're describing them, I'm probably about to give the Prince Albert Moose Shop preview from 2018 again. <laughs> Here's a team on the rise, going up against the favorites with Hunter's Chance. I mean... We'll see. I mean, you, you look at some of that team, and Perry and I saw them recently. They they got the young talent there. It's going to be pretty exciting down the line, especially with Mr. Gavin McKenna, who may take over to Connor Bedard. We'll talk about for 10 minutes next podcast. My time is draft year rolls around. But, yeah, I just – I don't think they have the horses that – in a, they may take a game, but in a seven-game series, I'm like, ah, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you what, for me, the reason why I don't think so – uh, there's two. One, I think Winnipeg can be had, but I think you have to be bigger up front to really get under their skin and lean into them. And and Medicine Hat's not, really. And two, their goaltending hasn't been strong enough to steal games against a team like that. They just don't, you know, it's been fine to get in. Uh, they've been a great story, but I just can't see them doing enough to keep the puck out of the net, especially when uh, the puck drops 
in games that matter. So, no, I agree with you. But mm -hmm. it's more fun to present the story of the what if. I'll tell you, um, young Weisblatt there, who seems to be the 18th Weisblatt brother to play in the league, uh, I was watching him last time he was in, and he's so skilled, and he takes over shifts with the puck. He is scared of nothing. He's fast, and he arrives at spots angry. And I thought, this is Ridley Gregg all over again here. Like, he reminds me of him so much just in – in the skill level and and belligerence that he brings to a game. The thing that stood out for me, I and I've seen them a few times, but the, the game that stood out, I was doing an access TV game uh, in Regina, and the Pats got out 4-1 up on Medicine Hat. Uh, Connor Bedard scored a hat trick. Everyone was excited, and the crowd was, you know, jacked up, sold out building, and Medicine Hat just kept coming. Four lines, all played the same way, just kept outworking Regina, winning battles, and clawed their way back and won the game. And they just really impressed me in the second half because they were a team that had so little expected of them, and they just kept elevating. So, yeah, I don't think they're going to win this, but I think they're really serving notice of what that team is going to be going into the next couple of years and Willie Desjardins reminding people why he's one of the greatest coaches we've seen in this league over the last few decades. Yeah, you you mentioned Willie, Sean. I was going to say, like, didn't you just describe a, a, a Willie team right to a, to a T right there as far as just, you know, just keep grinding, keep fighting back, just keep keep digging until you get where you're trying to go, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it's that smaller, skilled, deep team with lots of talent and a bigger back end. Um, they're going to be really good. They're going to be a lot to handle, but yes, it's you know, when it comes to Winnipeg, it's probably uh, way too big of a task. Now, uh, the series I think that might be the most competitive is right in the middle. Uh, and with a lot of question marks, Moose Jaw against Lethbridge. Lethbridge, you know, we, you talked about Saskatoon being a surprise team this year. I think Lethbridge was ahead of where I thought they'd be and have played a very stingy game. Um. How do you guys see them matching up against a Moose Jaw team that had a great start to the year, ran into the issues they ran into with the players getting suspended, and now are going to be re-fortified going into the postseason? Lucas? Well, number one, I've stopped doubting any Peter and Holtfield team uh, based upon what they've done the last few years, and especially mm -hmm. this year. And we'll talk about that later on. But yeah, like you said, the big factor is getting those guys back, especially the two Max Wander on D, and then Connor Unger in goal. I mean, that's really the question mark. I thought without those guys coming in this series, like, okay, I'm picking Lethbridge. I still probably am because of the fact that, okay, you're bringing those guys back in, but Connor Unger hasn't played a game since February, yeah, February the 5th. Uh, so it'll be almost two months since his last game, depending on when he goes in. Same goes to Wander. So, that's kind of the X factor for me is just if you bring him in cold, what happens there? And if Unger, if Jackson Unger starts, he goes on a roll or he struggles, then you bring Connor in again, coming in cold off, off the bench. Just how's that going to go with them? And you're, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like a lot of that Moose Jaw team, obviously. And like you said, they started strong. You have some really good high end guys. And I think the team is going to be pretty good again next year. But just, man, against a team like Leftbridge, I don't know. I think, I, 
if I were to pick one upset in the first round, I mean, four or five, maybe not an upset, but that's probably the one I'm going, okay, I'm taking Lethbridge. To me, the thing that this series swings on is how Lethbridge plays defensively. Uh, you know, when they were in Brandon, they played games back-to-back that actually got Don McGilvery fired here uh, as Wheat King's coach. What I saw from them was just an absolutely stifling defense. They they were just crushing in the neutral zone, turnover after turnover after turnover. Great forecheck. But if you look at their scores, you know, there's a lot of give up one goal, give up two goals and win. And then there's some strange outliers where it's like they give up eight goals and lose. So to me, a lot depends on Leth- how Lethbridge uh, kind of steps up to defend against that moose jaw attack which can be really really dynamic with you know Fergus and um Korzak and all those guys like that's that's a really nice team that moose jaw has in the ice you know I, I i'm with you lucas as far as you know it's really hard to you know root against a, a, a pete anholt team although i've got nine months almost to the day to figure out how to do so with uh, you know him running Team Canada here, this uh, World Juniors coming up, and I don't I don't like having to root against Pete Anholt, but here you know I'm, I'm I have time to prepare, but uh, you know and the and the and the thing with Moose Jaw as far as bringing those guys back in, and and that is a thing that I I've, I've looking around I haven't seen anything official, but their uh, their suspended players are eligible. Is that right, guys? Yeah, if you look at the weekly report, the last weekly report that came out, all three, th- all four guys. Unger, Warner, Merrick Howell, and for Lyndon Lakovich have three games remaining under suspension. So they are eligible now to come back, but I haven't seen anything yet officially saying, are they going to be officially back in the lineup for game one on Friday or what deal is officially with them? Yeah, because, I mean, I get that um, all hands on deck and, and, and whatever, but, I mean, you know, it's, you, you kind of talked about it with it, it, in goal there. I mean, what what's that do to the chemistry, you know? I mean, do the other guys look at them like, you know, you let us down, we needed you. I mean, it's that's a, that's that's a can of worms right there. And that's, you know, you got to think that that's, that's advantage Lethbridge as far as the Warriors having to deal with that. I have to say, though, when you look at the difference in goal, I I can't imagine, unless, unless there's some kind of sign – um, that Unger's not ready, or I, I don't know. But the gap in results, statistically, between what they've had and and what they can have. You know, Connor Unger has a, a 2.58 goals against average and a save percentage of 9.25. And Jackson Unger is 4.19867. You know, the, the gap is massive. And the fact that Mooshaw was able to stay where they are in the standings, dealing with the difference between those two goaltenders, and again, and you look at the teams in the standings, Mooshaw is a significant plus in the goals for goals against, even dealing with, you know, the struggles Jackson Unger had in net, and Lethbridge is a team that's the minus goals for goals against team. So, I I think maybe it it appears closer than it actually is talent wise. You look at the the top scorers in the series; they're all like the the first four or five are from Moose Jaw. So, yeah. you know, that that to me says, talent-wise, this this shouldn't be as close as it, it maybe feels like it will. The The difference is, obviously, as you said, Perry, the way Lethbridge plays defense. And that's what impresses me so much about this team. I don't think they're going to win the series. I think Moose Jaw's too good. I think they're too skilled. But 
for me, what's impressed me so much about Lethbridge is how they've been able to adjust what they need to be based on the kind of roster they have. Because back in the early days of Brent Kissio and Pete Anholt running that team, Lethbridge was a run and gun, you know, fast and loose, score six goals, win six, four kind of team. And now with the talent they have and the, the structure of their roster, they've turned into a win two, one, three, two kind of team. And, and the fact that they're able to adjust the way they play and still have success and find a way to win, no matter how you have to win, rather than just being stuck in a certain way, says a lot about the, you know, the hockey intelligence of, the management and coaching staff and Lethbridge, and that, that's what gives them a chance in the series. But I don't know. For me, and you guys, like you said, you've seen you've seen them in person more than I have, certainly. Uh, and I and I know they play that hard nosed playoff style hockey. But the amount of firepower that Musha brings into this series, if the goaltending is close to even, it has to be Musha the favorite, doesn't it? I think so, but like I said, for me, it's just the it comes down to the goaltending situation with Musha. I defer to our goaltender in the room, Perry. But Perry, if you're going into a playoff series after being sent for two months, how would you fare? Well, let's put it this way: How many shots has he faced in the last two months? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Not none in game. That's for sure. True, but if you're getting your shots every day, if you're on the ice and skating, it's not like. You know, you're coming back from, you know, July and haven't skated in a month. Um, I, I think Connor Unger will be fine. He's a mentally strong young man. Uh, he, he, of course, was a weak king prior to going to Red Deer, prior to going to Moose Jaw. Um, I think he'll be fine. I honestly do, if he is able to get back into game one. And then you look at the series... Because for me, if it's Jackson Unger, and this is no slight on him, but just based on stats, you know, the 8, 6, 7 save percentage and over 4 goals against average, and then you're going up against Ryan Thompson, who's had a wonderful season, or Harrison uh, Minigan, who's that they both had very strong seasons in goal for Lethbridge, then you're at a decided disadvantage there in the most important position in the playoffs. But if the goaltending is going to be even, Mushaw's way ahead in firepower, aren't they, Perry? I would think so. Uh, the, you know, and we haven't even talked about the back end of Denton Matichuk or anything. They are so, so skilled, so fast. I've got to think, uh, to me, they're still the favorite. Mushaw has probably underachieved this year. I really thought they'd be a lot closer. Well, I thought they'd be in Saskatoon's spot, to be honest. And I thought Saskatoon would be in their spot. So shows how much I know. Uh, but again, you're dealing with teenagers. And if, like, Moose Jaw did win the season series 3-1, to one, so they've learned how to beat them. But again, I, I'm, I'm just going to keep harping on this one thing. How good is Lethbridge going to be defensively? Because they're going to have to be really on point to shut down Moose Jaw's scorers. Yeah, and I kind of wonder, you know, I've... Maybe just because I was thinking about the Saskatoon series, but I mean, you know, you figure that crowd in Lethbridge. I'm optimistic that they're going to fill the barn and and and, and be rowdy, and and I'm not sure that we're going to see the, the the same thing in in, in uh, Moose Jaw. I don't think if, you know Moose Jaw and Medicine Bowl, It seems like they've never really recovered from 
building their new barns and had the opposite results that you would expect as far as, or hope for anyway, as far as people filling the place. And I think that that, that old barn in Lethbridge, that horseshoe, I think, uh, I think it'll be rocking. I think, I think they can feed off of that. I've actually attended playoff games in both and there was no comparison in terms of the atmosphere. You know, when Brandon went there in 2016, that was Braden points last season. You would have thought that fans would be there to, you know, kind of see off this franchise legend. And the building was half empty. And then you go to Lethbridge, and there are a lot of really excited people in the crowd. They're noisy. They're into the game. So, yeah, they, they certainly do have an advantage there, I would say. Well, and, and I've had experience in that barn in some series that really, really were big. You know, I think of 2018 when Swift and Moose Jaw were probably the two best teams in the league. Facing off in the first round, Swift shut them out in their own building three times in a row. It, it just didn't have the uh, same feel for them. Well, and how can you match the crush can? But it doesn't, doesn't have that feel. So Moose Jaw is still looking to establish their building, I think, as, as a tough place to play come playoff time. You know, they had that run the first year it opened, the conference final. But, yeah, they, they have not been historically since then a great home team. Even this year, again, you look at – and maybe home ice advantage is meaning less and less these days. You look at their, their home and away numbers, and their records are very comparable, home versus away. So, you know, maybe home ice means a little more for Lethbridge in this series. That, that's fair. And we'll see what the matchup games are like. But, again, I point to – the top six scoring players on the ice in the series will all be Warriors. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that, that's a that's a tough talent gap to overcome. I think. Yeah, and, and and how much you know in a in a normal year, how much we'd be talking about you know Braden Yeager? It'd be the it'd be the, the Yeager show pretty much. But you know, as far as what he's done in in, in his draft year, if uh, if assuming I know what I'm talking about, sometimes I don't, but. <laughs> You know he's he's been I mean dynamite and you know I just we just happen to have another draft eligible taking up all the oxygen but other than that I mean it's you know some of the yeah to your point Sean I mean some of these some of these uh, heavies from Moose Jaw even if be, being young I mean they're uh, they're di- very dynamic. So do we? Uh, yeah. No. Go no ahead, question. Sean. No, I was just saying no question. But you know I. I think we've we've worked through that series pretty well, uh, and Red Deer against Calgary is the the last of the first round series, and that's going to be a fun local rivalry certainly. Uh, and you know, let's start with with Lucas on this one. But as much as the series could be fun, as much as I don't think Red Deer was quite as strong second half as they were in the first, it, it's hard to find reasons to pick for Calgary, isn't it? Like, do, is there anything that comes to mind for you that that? Makes you feel like Calgary might have an opportunity in this series? Uh, if they can get Brad Moran and Pavel Brendel back, maybe that changes things a little bit. But, um, I, yeah, I don't see it. I mean, right there was a team Perry and I saw in the playoffs here last year, and they got most a lot of those guys back. And it's, Yeah, like, I mean, they started off so strong, and then that streak ended against Brandon, a shootout here on Remembrance Day. And then they kind of, I was just settled a little bit, but they're kind of up and down at times. But, yeah, I... I don't know. Calgary kind of was kind of at the last bit of the year. We talked about how Manhattan was on the heater and Regina played better and Swift started to work out. Part of that, too, is because Calgary had that really rough stretch there at one point during the season. So 
I mean, there's some pieces there of Calgary, and again, maybe to get a game or two if Braden Peters plays really well, but I don't know. I, there's enough guys on Red here in the way that they play. I, I think this might be one of those series that goes short. So because of my prediction, congrats in advance to the Calgary Hitman on pulling off the upset. Well, Red Deer has won <laughs> six of the eight games this year. They're 6-1-1 one, and one against Calgary. The last game between the teams, they beat them 9-0 on March 11th. Uh, you know, they are playoff-hardened. Uh, now, again, Calgary has played well, 7-3 and three coming down the stretch. But that Red Deer team is so, so heavy. It's going to be a real physical toll for the hitmen forwards and defensemen to play against that heavy, heavy uh, Rebel squad for four, five, six, whatever, however many games series lasts. Well, you know, we talked about, you know, Pete Anhold a minute ago. I mean, this is a, you know, a, a series of, 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 uh, of heavyweight veterans as far as, you know, in, in, in the front office here with, you know, Jeff Chenoweth and, and also, uh, you know, Brent Sutter. But, you know, you look at, you look at Sutter and he, and he took a chance on Kai Uchaz and, you know, I'm personally, you know, still pretty frustrated with the kid from, you know, when he got ran out of Seattle. But, you know, he has, you know, made the most of, of his second chance and, you know, 50 goals and 35 assists. I mean, you know, that's, uh, you know, again, that is that is capitalizing on your opportunities. And, and, and that's the thing that, that Uchaz has done for this, this Red Deer squad. And, and uh, you know, has kept his name out of the paper in, in any sort of negative light, and uh, and just just been filling the net. And so you gotta, you know, you gotta tip your cap to uh, to, to to Brent for for taking the chance on that, and and, and it's paying off for him on, in that regard. And none of those goals came against uh, Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> and you look at that roster too. Besides him, a lot of that core is pretty much homegrown. I mean, Setoff came from the import draft. You have guys like Groove and. Callum Lynn, Ben King, who missed a big part of the season with injury. That's a guy that probably could have a really good playoff run. He brought in some guys along the way. Matt Lindgren, they've brought in on defense. They're really, I think, really mainly major, not really major trade, but they're really, their move at the deadline was to get Merrick Schneider in, uh, Braden's younger brother from Saskatoon. So, I mean, that's a, that's a strong core. I, I'm curious to see who they're going to run with in goal because it feels like they have 19 goalies on the roster with the amount of guys they've had there this year, especially with Chase Coward coming back, which is great to see. But, yeah, I mean, Calgary does have some guys, but just like I said, I think depth-wise and that kind of thing, it's like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see, but I think it's going to be a tough series for them. Fun, and you have a Red Deer team that's got playoff experience now in the they won around last year and then faced off with the eventual champs in the second round. They have a coach who's been to two league finals uh, as a bench boss in the Western Hockey League. He's a remarkable uh, coach who's had great success there. They have options in goal. They have dynamite uh, talent up front. They're built big and strong. It, it's just hard to find holes there. And while their second half wasn't as exciting, I mean, you know, Perry, you saw them in the playoffs last year, and they've had first place in their division sewn up for so long. It's hard to really, you know, have huge motivation night in, night out. But I don't think this is a team with Steve Konowalczyk behind the bench and Brent Sutter in the front office that's going to lack for playoff motivation when the puck drops in round one. No, I saw so much clutch play, and those guys have all gotten one year older. Uh, you know, Lynn, and uh, I'm a huge Jaden Group fan. 
he's the one who scored in triple overtime to end the series against Brandon last year. You know, when, when you have guys like that who are responsible, know where their own goalie stands, um, and yet can score at the other end, uh, you can win a, a lot of playoff games with guys like that. Did, didn't this Red Deer team only win two games in the in the bubble season when they were living in the rink? Something like that? I mean, um, three or four, maybe. I'll check quick. I mean, to to, to come to come from four the, games, four games. That's better than two. Um, to, to, <laughs> but to, to think to come from from that, I mean, that wasn't that long ago to, you know, win their division. I mean, again, you got to you got to tip your cap to the, uh, you know, to, to again to Connor Walchuk, Con, Steve Connor Walchuk, for my money, the best hockey player ever to come out of uh, of Salt Lake City, Utah. And, uh, and and former Winterhawk, but uh, yeah, I mean, you gotta to to see the, the the rise that this Red Deer team has went on. I mean, it's pretty pretty remarkable, and and uh, to you know, Eakin will look to to see what they do here against uh, you know against this team in the first round. It's a team of the great franchise that hasn't been around that long. They don't have many losing seasons in Red Deer. It'll be interesting to see, as mentioned, what they do in goal. That Stosser's been hurt. I don't know what his status is for the playoffs. Um, Kelsey's had a good year. Coward just got back. And what a great story. Uh, Chase Coward, who's a Swift Current boy, who had surgery that could have ended his career. And the doctor apparently was saying, I don't even know how you were moving. With, with, you know, how you were even able to move successfully. And he was a tremendous goaltender up to that point. And now he's been able to get back and play well in four games. If he were to take that team and go on a run in the playoffs, that would be a remarkable story. Just getting back after the re- recovery from surgery and questions of whether he'd ever play again. But, you know, you're right in asking that question. Who's it going to be, Lucas? Because between Stosser and Kelsey and Coward, could be any of them, which is a good and bad problem to have. It reminds me in a way, and here comes Lucas talks about the OHL again, but Owen Sound, the year they won the league in 2011 when he came out of nowhere, they had three guys that were basically their goaltenders that entire season. That was a team everyone thought, oh, they did well in the regular season. They're going to crash out in the playoffs. And then they went on and won the league. And, I mean, the goalies that year, you had Michael Zador and Scott Sager, who were veteran guys, and you had a youngster named Jordan Biddington who came out of nowhere. Wasn't fighting guys at that point, so I don't know what happened in between. But, um, that's the thing. You you guys have watched your hockey long enough. You never know. Random guy in goal won Seattle championship one year, right, Chad? Yeah, yeah. Never to be never be heard from again. You know, and and uh, you yeah, know that Owen Sound team in 2011 was one you know nasty elbow away from you know maybe doing some damage in the in the Memorial Cup. But that's uh, that's you know here and there too. So. But I, I will give you credit, Lucas. We made it that far before we before we talk about any OHL team. So I think, uh, I mean, any OHL team in the playoffs, anyway. So I think we probably did okay there. But uh, so if we've covered if we've covered all the series, that we want to you know kind of break down into a a random <laughs> shooting the shit session. What do you where do you guys want to go with it from here? Well, what what I would what I want to know, like from a you know asking the experts kind of side of things and guys who I know pay real close attention to the league. I think the first round 
the favorites are all pretty well established and upsets could happen because they always could happen. It's always fun to see the potential for them. But I think we all pretty well feel like those top four teams are very strong teams. From that point on, though, what's your feel? We'll start with Perry and go to Lucas. But what's your feel for how the, the rest of the playoffs will go in the conference? You know, do, do you have a team that you're leaning on as your favorite? Uh, is there anything you think that could be a surprise? Like, how do you foresee uh, the rest of the playoffs to go um, once it you know narrows down a little bit? I've got a shiny quarter that I'm willing to bet that it's Winnipeg and Seattle in the final. Um, I realize that's not exactly earth-shaking. It's just <laughs> are the two teams that have been built to win. Uh, I just, I'm curious about the toll that both teams are going to pay to get there. And again, that's how many heavy teams do you play on the way? And when uh, the Memorial Cup is finally held in Kamloops, how healthy are those teams? You know, I go back to covering Brandon in 16 when they played Edmonton in the first round, Red Deer in the third round, and Seattle in the final. Well, they had nothing left by the time they got to Red Deer for the Memorial Cup. They had, uh, those three teams had just beat the crap out of them. So that's something to really keep an eye on, the matchups and the physical toll being, pay, being paid by uh, each of those teams. I know that story very well uh, because Swift Grant went through something very similar in 2018. I mean, they, they took 26 games to get to the championship and had to beat Regina and Moose Jaw in the first two rounds before Lethbridge and Everett. So it is a, sort of the the great thing, Lucas, about the Western Hockey League, but also the curse of the Western Hockey League and maybe part of why they've had trouble when it gets to the Memorial Cup is how tough the route is to the Edge North Cup. It's going to be interesting, like Perry said, to see how it all shakes out, especially just how battle-tested these teams are going to be. I think, I mean, if it all goes chalk, that Saskatoon Red Deer series could be really interesting. I've seen Saskatoon a little more than Red Deer, so I think I like Saskatoon a little more in that matchup, but I can go either way if it goes that route. Like Perry, I think it's going to be Winnipeg-Seattle. Kamloops should get to the conference final, and then you have them a little bit rested going into the Memorial Cup situation there. And then after that, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's weird. I feel like, and this is me just kind of looking at the other two leagues from afar, it feels like there's kind of a big three this year in terms of like Winnipeg, Seattle, and Kamloops. And then you look at Quebec, there's four teams of, a, of over 100 points. That could be a slugfest uh, once you get to the final four. And then in the OHL, there's six teams that can win that darn thing. So it's, it's going to be interesting. It, it looks like it's going to be chalk in a sense, but... We, I, you never know. I mean, I don't think, like Perry said last year, I think I said this too last year, it felt like Seattle kind of arrived a year early. So maybe one of these teams that we're not that we're talking about the outside of those big teams, maybe they go on a run here a, a little bit ahead of schedule and make some noise. And that's, I think, kind of what's going to be interesting for me is just to see if who upsets the apple cart, so to speak, uh, be it in the East or maybe out in the West. I I think I disagree with Lucas on Seattle being early. I mean, they're you know like four or five guys that were on the in World Juniors, and then they went and added another couple guys, and they had they brought it in NHL or after that. I mean, it's you know they have. They well, I meant last year. Last year when they made the final was kind of a little, little early. Oh, okay, like, they, okay. Pretty, well, you know, pull off the upsets. That would be then delivering right now. So I guess yeah, I'm. I'm I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, they had, you know, four four guys on Team Canada, let alone Brad Lambert, let alone, 
Dylan Gunther. So it's, uh, yeah, they're 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 a handful right now. I that's that's uh you know I've, I've seen them th- this week. I mean they're they can be they can be tricky to deal with, and obviously Kamloops being, you know they've uh, they had a really nice second half. I mean I know a lot of people, you know, kind of question them to start to 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 start the the season, and they uh, they finished pretty strong. But we'll see what what their path is to get there too, right? But um, yeah, it's and it's kind of hard to hard to doubt Winnipeg, but. Is there even a point in winning if nobody notices, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I was going to ask you when it comes to the West, just when it comes to those matchups in the first round. I mean, Portland Everett's going to be, I think, a fun one. The other two look kind of chalky, but that PG Tri City series is going to, I think, pretty interesting because you have two teams that are kind of back in the playoffs as stronger teams after a bit. I mean, look at the fact that they've never played each other in the playoffs, even going back to the 19 different team iterations that they were before Tri-City and when they were in Victoria is kind of interesting. So I think that series is going to be pretty interesting. What do you think as our West Coast experts on how the things are going to go in the first round there? So, you know, I think both of those teams, if you're Tri-City or you're Prince George, they're kind of everybody's, like, second favorite team. You know, like you have the team that you root for, and then you're like, you want Prince George to do well because you know they historically struggled, and they're they're building something, and people like Mark Lamb and and, and all of that. And the Ams are kind of in the same boat that you know they've had such a rough go of it over the last couple of years. And I mean, I was just in their building here a little while back, and they have a total of I think it's four or five banners in like in their building, and they've been there since 1988. As far as you know, division. I mean, anything really. And so mm-hmm. you know, you people want to see them do well too. And so it's kind of unfortunate that they play against each other. And 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 both those teams too, you know, really put together a, a strong second half and and kind of gelled and 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 figured out how to uh, you know this is some of their parts and all that. And so it's 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 a little frustrating to see them have to play each other, but. You know, we talked on this show all for months about how that four or five was, spot was where you wanted to be and stay away from Portland, Kamloops, Seattle. And that was at the time we probably thought Portland was better than they are. And that's kind of a weird one, too. And especially being, you know, mm-hmm. the, the team is closest to me and I don't quite know what to make of them. But, uh, you know, are they the team we saw in the first three quarters of the year or did they pick the wrong time to, 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 to fall on their face? So I don't, I don't know what we're going to get here uh in against Everett I, so we'll we'll see how that goes but uh yeah we'll have our, our Western have Conference, a uh preview coming up I have a different take on the PG Tri-City series though I do feel like instead of it being unfortunate they're playing each other I feel like that could be a preview of the next two teams to emerge in the Western Conference you know they're they're young developing teams that have built a nice real strong talent base and now they're they're taking that next step against each other, and it's kind of the you know the the test of the future powers maybe, and and a preview of what could be the Western Conference Final next year, which will be fun to look back on if it happens. Well, and, and the fun thing, and that, one of them's going to advance. What one of them's going to advance? Yeah. One of them's going to one of them's going to come away with this with with uh, with significant playoff experience. Go ahead, Perry. I say the fun thing about that series for me is that you could tell me that either team won in four, five, six, or seven, and we could make a compelling case for it. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the most compelling series, the first round of the WHL playoffs this year. So I, I want to ask, well, while I have you guys left, um, because, you know, 
you both predicted Winnipeg and, and Seattle as the, the likeliest final. Um, of the other teams, the team that stands out for me, and, and we were talking about having playoff experience, and we've talked about, you know, emerging ahead of schedule. I mean, Red Deer's a team that did that. Last year emerged ahead of schedule. Last year got some playoff experience. The only team that was able to knock them off was Edmonton, who was extraordinary and won the championship. They're built for playoffs. They battled injuries all year. They're deep. They're a playoff-style team. If anybody could, you know, give Winnipeg that kind of series and, and surprise them and knock them off and and go on a long run and, and put up a fight because of the way they play, is Red Deer a team that feels like one that could? I think they're probably more likely than Saskatoon to do it. And the reason I say that, as much as I love Saskatoon, and I think we mentioned this earlier, is how big and heavy Red Deer is. And if you're going to beat Winnipeg, I still think that's the way. I think they're a little uh, little rougher edged than they were last year when uh, I think Edmonton bullied them a little bit in the the conference final there. Who knows? Uh, but I do think that, uh, you know, you bring a staff Chuck in, you bring uh, Wyatt Wilson in. Those are guys that don't mind playing a heavier game. I was going to say, I only seen Winnipeg maybe once or twice this year, just the way the schedule is, but I felt like seeing them early on. This is before they brought in all those guys via trade. I thought like, okay, their bottom six staff is, I think maybe a little bit better than it was a year ago. I mean, a guy like Ty Nash, for instance, who they got from Leftbridge is a guy that I'm a big fan of. And he, you know, 44 points this year, had 38 the uh, year before in Leftbridge. So the, the bottom six staff, I mean, again, when you load up like they did, of course it's going to get better, but I think, uh, Perry, you saw more than I did, but I think probably the, that overall depth, especially up front, is probably a little bit better. You said a little more edge to it than a year ago. Well, it seems like they played each other 38 times this winter. Uh, it was 10 games, so it's more of a U.S. division schedule. Uh, actually, Winnipeg won all 10 games between Brandon and uh, and Winnipeg this year, which is something. Yeah, Brandon blew four leads late in the third period. That, you know, they could have had four wins in the series, didn't win any. But you're right, Lucas. There, There's some additional depth there this year. Uh, you got a couple of really high-end goaltenders there. Uh, I just, I can't wait. I'm going to be disappointed, actually, if Seattle and Winnipeg aren't in the final. As much as I like Red Deer and I like what they've done in Kamloops as well. Well, I mean, the thing with, with Seattle is, you know, they're traditionally that like you're, you're saying, Perry, that heavier team that all the defensemen are 6'4", 6'5", 220, you know, kind of lumbering, kind of, you know, not not quite a 07 Vancouver Giants, but, you know, kind of beat you up, kind of wear you down, that kind of a thing. And I don't know if I feel that this edition of the Seattle Thunderbirds are quite, you know, that, that, that kind of, you know, the way they've traditionally been built, but – you know, it's probably still probably still a little you know heavier than uh, than than that Winnipeg team. It seemed like a lot of a lot of a lot of flash and dash over there in the in in the Wayne Fleming. They can move, and boy, if you make a mistake in the neutral zone or something, it can end up in your net like four seconds later. They are so fast, they're so good off the rush, and they're so opportunistic. And don't put them on the power play. That's something <laughs> I learned watching them. You know, even if they don't score on the power play, they're probably going to have a minute 50 of zone time, and you're going to tire out your best players defending against them. So I, I made the case of 
and, and ask you about it, why Red Deer might be the team that could emerge. What would be the case in your mind, even if we expect Winnipeg to, to come through, what would be the case in your mind for Saskatoon being the team to cause that upset and breakthrough in the Eastern Conference? What would they have to do to, to make that happen? Well, I think the key to beating Winnipeg is obviously shutting down all that that scoring and all that speed up front, and then finding a way to beat that terrific goaltending in the back. And that's not easy either because they have a pretty rugged defense this year that will kind of beat you up if you stay in the slot for too long. Like Ben Zlotti has just been fantastic this year. Uh, Carson Lambeau's terrific. That's a really, really good back end. And even picking up Sward from Spokane. I think they're deeper than they were last year. I actually talked to Connor Geeky today, and he said that the teams are a lot alike. But, uh, you know, he, he does like their, uh, their chances of going somewhere. Well, and we're running out of chances on this show to talk about Delagor Jandier. And so I just wanted to say that one more time. But, you know, he's <laughs> he's going to, you know, as, as an overage, we're in the sea hey. for, for Saskatoon. He's going to be, you know, a big part of, of, of how far they go. And Elliot's got a 2.2 goals against average also. So, you know, they're a team that's not been easy to score on all year. And you got him and Chadwick too. Now, if Nolan Meyer was still there, I would have said, there's your answer. No, just put Nolan Meyer in, you're fine. <laughs> but alas, we don't have over-overage rules like in Jungle B. One more I thing like, I'm... and, and sorry, Perry, but you would you would know him well. And I like the Jake, Jake Chase on addition for Saskatoon. He's not, you know, going to put up 50 goals, but he's he's a guy that plays that kind of game you want come playoff time, adding to the mix of a team that played that style already. You know, that feels like, and would know Winnipeg pretty well. That feels like a nice addition for a team trying to make hay in the playoffs. Yeah, Brandon got a first and a second for Jake. It was kind of revealing that they made that trade. You know, they brought some guys in and, and shipped him out. Now, I am still kind of trying to deal with the impact of the Jake Chase on trade because he's on my all-time interview team. You can't lose guys like that. You can't trade my all-interview guys. Um, <laughs> he's terrific. I understand. <laughs> yeah. But that if, says that usually those guys are great leaders, right? Those those great interview guys are great leaders, and they're, they're playoff guys. When they drafted Jake Chase on in the first round, they actually said he's probably a future captain of our team. He left as an alternate captain. He kind of got uh, jammed up behind some really good players here, and you know, like your Braden Schneiders and guys like that. But uh, no, he, he's a terrific kid, and I'm sure that within about ten days of being in Saskatoon, that whole dressing room loved him. He's fit in seamlessly with their group of forwards up front. Uh, he scored highlight goal against Brandon through his legs. So it's hard not to cheer for Jake. He's just that good a young man. I love it. All right. Well, it's it's already late here on the on the West Coast, and which means it's later in Saskatchewan and even worse in in Manitoba. Uh, any any parting thoughts you guys want to want to throw out before we uh, call it a night? Would it, start with you, Lucas. First of all, the night is young. I'm not going to bed for at least another five hours. <laughs> But when yeah. it comes to uh, – we talked a little bit about Brandon. I think we haven't talked about those other teams that are out. I mean, Swift we kind of alluded to. They've got so many guys that are there that you think they should, knock on wood, get into the playoffs next year. We'll see how things go. 
Edmonton's still a couple years away from being a couple years away. And then Prince Albert's obviously a team where I work there, Perry worked there, so we keep an eye on them. I mean, Ryder Richie, sign me up for more of that going forward. That's going to be a team I'm going to be looking forward to see next year with the talent they got. They're going to get some more picks the year with the draft um, that they're going to use here, maybe could use to get assets. So I'm excited to see what PA's building on uh, if those teams are missing the playoffs there um, over the next couple of years. I mean, Victoria spoke I'm sure you guys will touch on the West Coast show, but Victoria's a couple years away, and obviously Spokane of Cat is going to be fun. But yeah, Ryder Richie, I just want to hype him up a little bit. He was probably the first year guy. I only saw Cat in the once. I didn't see Gavin, but the 06 is Richie was probably the one that impressed me the most this year. He was terrific. Now, Chad, you're going to beat me on the head with a stick because this could be a 15 minute discussion I'm launching here. But, uh, you know, Sean, you would have terrific insight into this, and we've talked about it a little bit. You know, the two, 2018 build in Swift Current decimated that team and it decimated the future of that team we have seen that done in winnipeg this year we've seen it done in seattle and to you know i i guess i blame kamloops less because they're the host and you know they want to be a good host but to me it's really really bad for the league when this happens you are decimating your group for five six seven eight years by the time your draft picks come through and you're you know, and they're impactful guys. So you, your market better be able to withstand a lot of losses. The other thing is that you're a terrible team. You're not going to sell tickets anywhere else either because nobody's going to pay to see you. So I think in the older days, there was kind of a compact between the GM that they were never going to blow their brains out like they have been this year. So here's my question to you guys. Is it good or bad for the league what's happened this year? Let me first say with Swift, I think um, the damage that could have been done to them was mitigated by a couple things. And, and it's easy to say, okay, well, now they've missed the playoffs five years in a row. Um, but they were within a point of making it each of the last two years. They're a fun team to watch. Like th They're not the dregs anymore. They're on the verge. They didn't get saves this year. And, and that that's the reason they're not in the playoffs as far as I'm concerned. I mean, they couldn't keep the puck out, and and I'm not pointing the finger at one guy. There's three of them, but they didn't get enough in in goal yet. But and they took too many penalties. But they're good, and they're better probably than they should have been given how much they traded away that uh, that year because Dean Brockman a pulled some rabbits out of his hat with the trades he made to recoup draft picks and assets. Uh, in as far as I'm concerned, he he almost replaced every asset they traded out, and it did not have the talent to do that. So, I thought he did an exceptional job rebuilding their assets. And then the scouting staff there now has done a tremendous job with their picks, finding talents at all sorts of different levels and all sorts of different places. And I think they've they've been terrific in terms of building the roster there with their drafting, which I think has allowed them to come out of that mess a lot faster than it could have been you know we've seen some teams take seven eight years when they go into a rebuild like that for Regina, it's masked a little bit because they got connor bedard so both of those teams were back in a position to be entertaining and fun to watch and competing for playoff spots i think faster than they probably should have or would have been because of some extraordinary circumstances but it's playing with fire you know if they weren't able to pull off some of those trades if they weren't able to make some of those draft 
then they could still be really poor teams. And so we're talking five years later. And so, yeah, I think it's a scary proposition what these teams have done. And whenever you're hosting, it shoots the prices up. And this year is another example of that, just like 2018. Because the hosts have to, it increases the prices for everybody. So for Winnipeg and for Seattle and for whoever else thinks that they're they're in the mix, that price is, what, 50% higher, if not more, than a typical year. Yeah. And if you don't do everything right from now for the next four or five years, this process could be seven years, eight years. You know, you have to be, you have to do an exceptional job of managing the next few years to even hope to come back um, at the speed that Regina and Swift have managed to be decent again. So is it good for the league? I don't think it is. And we've seen the league act last time when Swift won. They put in rules for trading 16 and 17-year-old players. I would not be surprised seeing it go up another level again this year if the league concerned for the the strength and health of their franchises and for what it'll take to be competitive will look to do something maybe similar to what Ontario's done and Lucas would have some good insight as to whether or not this has worked but rule out trading first round picks yeah. because when you trade too many of them it's just it just takes too long to recover because the the gap between first round players at this level and every other round I mean those guys are your you know almost always sure thing going to play in the league three, four years, guys. And so you, if you don't have them, you're so far behind everyone else that I think maybe coming off another year like 2018 when they made that move with 16- and 17-year-old players, they put serious thought into preventing people from trading first-round picks or maybe something like the NBA where you can't trade in back-to-back -back years. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but in the NBA – uh, you can trade your, say, 2022, but you can't trade your 2023, so you have to skip ahead to 2024. Some kind of system like that. I don't know, Lucas, what's your feel on how it's worked in Ontario? I'm from Ontario. We trade picks like they're candy. Um, but not the, the, second, not the first. No, you can't trade the first, which helps, because then you have, you know, you have something to build around. Like, again, using the Greyhounds, the two years that we went on runs, you know, we... Imagine not having the first-round picks regarding guys like Barrett Hayton and McConnell Barker, which we certainly wouldn't have had, who are pieces of the franchise uh, going forward. I mean, McConnell Barker, especially if they get in the cup next year, but we'll see. But, yeah, the second-round picks, though, everybody's second-round pick is basically traded. I think this past year, maybe two or three teams that originally had that second-round pick um, is still has their second-round pick that was originally there. So that kind of gets kind of comical in that sense. The thing is, so in the O... You can trade to 16- and 17-year-olds, but you're also, let's say, you're trading between Kinks and Mississauga. It's not as jarring as, say, you're trading a guy from Brandon to Prince George uh, and that kind of thing. Um, I think, too, Perry talks about how it's not good for the league in certain aspects. I think if you grandfather it in and say, okay, whatever the next year is that we haven't traded picks for yet, like 26 or 27, whatever it is, say, okay, first-round picks from that point are off-limit, and that's certainly going to aid in rebuilds. And what also helps with that is the fact that because those 15- and 16-year-olds aren't getting traded unless they are not signed, then you'll likely see knowing where you get picked, you're going to be going there. 
I'd have to look at the numbers, but I'm pretty sure maybe it's only one or two guys since that's been added to the league hasn't signed his first round pick. So that's pretty good. And I think a lot of that helps with the fact that they know the families know they're going to play where they get drafted. Um, I will say too, though, the goal on Perry's point, well, it's not good for a league. If you look at Winnipeg, it's not the fact that they've kind of, you know, blown their brains out and just trading away every single pick that they had just this year. They did it in 2020 for the Dawson Barteau trade and they went all in and cash in a lot of stuff for the last couple of years. So, for wherever they end up going forward, they're going to have, what, like, six picks? That might be all that's left, especially if next year. I mean, we're talking way too far ahead here. But let's say you get Savoy and Iki and Benson back, and you're in a good spot. You might decide, screw it. Let's go for one more run here and see what happens. And then wherever you end up, wherever's in charge of the team, they're going to have crumbs to work with. You know, and, and yeah, we talk about – and it's a good point in the O, and I think maybe they maybe they will have to go to that as far as not trading away your first rounders in this league. And we talk about Winnipeg and them being handcuffed, and you know the that you know we. I love talking about the 2018 Swift Current Broncos. I'm sure Sean does too. It comes up a lot of weeks on this show, and you know. But I I, I think I disagree with with uh, with the Seattle part. I, I I think if Seattle takes you know six seven eight years to recover from this run, I I don't think that's a bad thing for the league. I don't think it's a bad thing for the U.S. division. I don't think it's a bad thing for the league. I think that's fine. I think if if think if Seattle takes a really long time to recover after this year, I think. I think that's a good thing. So, I mean, maybe, you know, that's a counterpoint, I guess. He says it's Portland. Sure, you don't mind it because you're a Portland fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I will I mean, say so, – go ahead, Sean. Yeah, I, I was just saying, you know, I, I think one thing to understand with this, too, is it would also lessen, in my mind um, – the gap between the haves and haves nots if you put some limitations there. Because the sort of have franchises, the the bigger markets, the the ones with more money, the ones with more resources, the ones with more profile, they have a little easier time making up for getting rid of those first round picks. Um, they they find they seem to find players that wouldn't have come elsewhere more than other teams do. You know, and, and so a team like Swift, when they had a team, felt like we got to do everything we can because we got to take advantage of this while we have it. But then they're not getting any breaks the next five years trying to bring in players. They had to make it happen. They had to manufacture it. You know, Chad Leslie had to pick five NHL draft picks in one draft, which is incredible, right? But at the same time, you know, a, a Portland for years didn't have first-round draft picks and still found a way to be competitive because they have some advantages in terms of recruitment. So, you know, we're not going to have a salary cap in junior hockey, but if you do limit how disastrous you can get with the trading to try to load up, if you at least give give teams their first-round picks, if you at least give teams the option of holding on to their 16- and 17-year-olds, it's not going to stop selling. Selling will still happen. It just won't be as costly. It just won't be as damaging long term. So I think, you know, it's one of those examples of protecting teams from themselves, but as Perry framed it, protecting the integrity of the league overall. Well, here's the other thing, boys. Let's say Winnipeg is coming into your town this season or Seattle, and you're just a decent team. And you're one of those fans who might spend their hard earned money there or might go somewhere else. 
Are you maybe going to go to the pub and have a beer, go to a movie instead because you go, you know, I don't need to go to the rink to see them put eight on my team. I don't know. That's probably part of it. I think that the GMs in years past maybe had more of a big picture feel for the league and did things to make the league strong as opposed to here's what I can do for me and my team now. Just my take. We also had more media members back then, though, to hype up the other teams. was kind of helping a bit, too. Like, <laughs> hey, you're going to come and see this guy's coming to town. Granted, Perry also had me to wait a schedule work last year, cover Brandon and Med Hat 97 times last year. I'm like, oh, I got Med Hat again. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I think, though, you know, you make a, a good point there, Perry. Like, competitive balance, it, it can it can crush the excitement a little bit. And, 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 it, and then at the same time, you know, as much as you don't want to t- see your team get worked eight to two, you don't want to see them be a team ten to one either. It's not very exciting to see a team with four fourth lines. You know that that 2019 Swift Current Broncos club. As much as I I love some players that were part of that team, they didn't have a first line. They didn't have a second line. They may not have had a third line. <laughs> and and how much fun is that team to come in and watch? You know, like. They're four, four, you know, four lines of guys who are fighting their hearts out to prove they belong in the league, but they didn't have the skill, and, and that's not good hockey, you know. So, I, I think some measures, because ultimately teams are going to do what they have to do to win, and so if the if the competitive competitiveness kicks in and you're seeing these other teams buy for the price they have to buy for, they're going to do it too. They're, they're going to do it. We've proven that in every league. They're going to do it. So you can't just appeal to them and say, hey, guys, let's bring this uh, arms race down a little bit next time. That's not going to work. You have to handcuff them. Otherwise, they'll find a way to sell anything that's not nailed down. This is going to sound quaint. Sorry, but uh, this is going to sound quaint, guys, but I take you back to 2016 where Kelly McCrimmon gave up a fifth rounder and brought in an extra second and an extra third and won the championship. Just let that sink in for a second. <laughs> I was going to say, in the case of, you know, if we don't want to see a team get blown out 10-1 and not, not, Perry, I think you kind of wrote about that in the 79 series where the Wheat Kings were so dominant, people didn't go see them for a certain stretch. Yeah. Yeah, that was such a good team, although... It wasn't trading like it is now. That was just pure scouting back then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I always want what's best for the league. And I just sometimes wonder if winning is the one thing that's valued over everything else, if that's good for the league long term. That's my concern, especially when a lot of markets are already having trouble selling tickets coming out of COVID. And we, we don't live in 1985 anymore. In the sense that you're not getting junior hockey teams that are run like college football programs. The the coaches don't stick around for two decades. The GMs aren't, you know, uh, are aren't staying put for years and years. Most cases, anyway. These are people that are trying to move on to the next level. You know, so they see that opportunity, they're going to take it and run with it, and they don't have to necessarily stay back and deal with the repercussions. So again. I think you're you're on to something there, and I and I think 
it's something the league is really going to have to evaluate when we've seen another season with just crazy trades. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly with Manny, I mean, you know, he was, he wasn't there for a long time. He was there for a good time and it was a very good time. And, you know, yeah. but back to that, you know, and that Manny team, I mean, you know, if they don't, if they don't bring in Mateo Gennaro, they don't win the cup. I mean, one last move for Swift Current. I mean, it was so tight and they needed every piece of that depth that they had that year. I mean, you could argue that, you know, if you would have held on to one more draft pick, they didn't get it done. And so you could argue as, as crazy as it was, you know, and, and these prices are, are, are insane, but it's not like, it's not like any team is, you know, the, the 89 Broncos that went 12 and 0. like we just, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just that difficult to get there. So, you know, you'd have to have and, and people will everybody back off of it, you know, all, all the same time. I don't know how that happens. And people will look back at that and say, well, it worked. They won. They have a memory that's that people will have forever. You know, Saskatchewan, Swift Current's now the, the team that's won the most Western Hockey League championships out of all Saskatchewan teams. But they also were damn close to losing Game 7 against Regina. So if you'd done all that and lost Game 7 to the Pats, I don't know if you still have a Swift Current Broncos. Well, yeah, if Max Paddock doesn't get hurt in practice before that series starts, they could have went out in the first round. Well, even just Game 7 as it was, I thought the Pats were a slightly better team in that game, and Swift found a way to win. Uh, And it was right down to the wire. If that doesn't happen, you know... All those trades, all the years afterwards of struggle to lose in the first round. I mean, again, I, I had a, it was the most fun I've ever had as a broadcaster. They were a blast to watch. But yeah, if you think about the ramifications, what happens to Seattle as an organization if they lose in the first round this year? You know, well, Tam Loops at least has Memorial Cup. But yeah. that, Winnipeg, if they get upset by Mezzanat, what happens to them, right? Like, they're already potentially on the way out. That could seal it. So, yeah, I mean, Perry, you bring this up, but I think, and it's a it's a detailed conversation, but I think it's a very important one to have. And I imagine you're more connected to the league than I am these days, but I imagine it is a conversation they're having. They can't not be. Oh, I would sure hope so. Like, just think, boys, all that Winnipeg and Seattle threw onto the table, you know, to go all in this year, one of those teams isn't going to win the league. And as Sean said, you're that close with Swift Current, and we'll see what happens with the East team here. I mean, Edmonton could have been knocked out by Seattle last year. You never know. So many of those teams, it's kind of on a thread. For every team that wins, you have a Prince George who went all in in 2017, and what that get him? Six game loss to Portland. So it's a dangerous edge. And I think at some point, like Perry said, if you want the league to still be strong and not have these haves and have nots, you got to do something here. Though I am trying to think of this alternate timeline where Prince Albert and Regina are playing in the second round in 2018 after Moose and Swift Current go on and crash out. You would have made a bunch of money betting on that one. Well, and, well, and to be fair, Prince Albert also didn't take a lot. They didn't spend anywhere near what other teams did when they won their championship, right? Yes, but that was also the well, two things. One, that was the first year where the draft rules were in, um, in effect, where you couldn't trade, or trade people were in effect, where you couldn't trade the guys. So maybe that changed me a little bit. But yeah, the only trade they made was Dante Hanoon, 
where the big trade was Lethbridge trading the pick that eventually came to Connor Bernard and other picks to Regina for Lecision and Henry. So, but at that same time with that team, there, I mean, the other moves that they made were backup goalie and depth moves at the deadline. So it was one of those things where if Curtis and them were like, this team's good. I don't want to mess it up here. Plus, they were still going to have enough pieces. We're coming out of the pandemic. If, okay. If the pandemic hadn't happened going into 20, they still would have been pretty good, especially bringing in Paddock. Then that 21 season, you have Gouli and Weisblatt coming out of the draft year. Uh, you have Protus, Ilya Ustov's there, Paddock's there. So they're going to be pretty good till 21. And after that, would have seen. Well, and that Dante Hanoon move, I mean, obviously that paid off huge. But, you know, mm-hmm. Lucas, you bring up the, the, the 2017 uh, Prince George Cougars. And, and that's the thing, too. I mean, and we've thought about that team, well, for however many years since since 2017. And just because it didn't work doesn't mean it was the wrong move. You know, and that's... You know, again, a franchise that hasn't won anything ever in any way, shape, or form. I believe they won the division that year, and that's it yeah. since 1994. And it was the right move. They had the pieces in place. It just going up against Mike Johnson was was the the, the, the luck of the draw in the in the in the bracket that year. But I mean. They had they had to roll the dice, and I I still think it was the right move, even though even it didn't work. And here they are, kind of just now coming out of it, like we've been talking about with these other teams. And that's a team that hasn't won a playoff series since 2007 when Devin Sedaguchi was there. So at that point, we haven't done anything for a decade. Go all I mean, not go crazy, Olin. But at that point, why not shoot your shot, right? <laughs> yeah, now they got to deal with Drag- <laughs> Dragosevic, but that's a again, we'll talk about that. Well. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we should probably apologize to the 93% of fans and eight general managers we've uh, upset tonight. Well, that's honestly, that's why we like the newspaper guys sometimes. You, you, no, no one here is working for a WHL team, so we can, you know, we can be a little, you know, I, I, I talk about it all the time how this show has an authentic, authenticity to it, and that's kind of that's our selling point, you know, we're not a lot of hot takes, not a lot of, I mean, I might talk shit about Pete Anholt and work for team Canada, but everybody knows how <laughs> I really feel about it. But, but uh, I love Pete Anholt. I need to get him back on the show, but. Um, and, and is Brent Kissio going to be the coach? Can you do that? Is that legal? He was, he was the assistant. He was the assistant this year. Yeah, I mean, climbing, climbing the ladder, uh, those, I suppose. Those, those, those two know how to win together. With, it wouldn't be a surprise to me, anyway. Yeah, the more Western leaguers you take, the better chance you have winning the winning the whole thing. In my my money, but I'll be too busy watching the Spangler Cup by then, remembering guys. So <laughs> they even doing that this year, Luke Lucas? They, they, they didn't oh, do they it last did it last year. It was they did it last year. Did they? I thought something. I thought they canceled or something. No, All right. they canceled the free performer prior to Christmas. The holidays were ruined. I was trying to pull the ripcord in this thing. What twenty minutes ago? All right. Wait, any 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 last any last thoughts, guys? Before we before we call it. No, I warned you. Twenty minute discussion was coming, so I'm done. Now. You no, know, I think we're I think we're good here. Like I said, it's going to be a pretty fun couple weeks. Um, on a personal level, I'm hoping to announce who's bloody hosting the M Cup next year because I have a horse in the fight. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. I think Saginaw is going to get it, but fingers crossed it's the suit. You can't have a Memorial say, Cup you have, of the United States. 
<laughs> what was that, Sean? You have a horse in it, and it was the Sioux. I can't believe it. Shocking development, I know. It's, it's them, Saginaw, Kingston, or Niagara. If they're smart, they give it to Saginaw. They, they've got the best team, I think, coming in next year. Um, I want it to be the Sioux, obviously, but Saginaw makes too much sense. Yes, Chad, I think they might give it to U.S. Theory. I'm as shocked as you are. I will come back on if it's not Agra and scream about corruption for a half hour, though, if it's not, <laughs> if it's not it's, those other three. It was just such a funny deal to go in the U.S. of A. in 83, 86, 92, 98, and then never again. Like that, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I've never quite understood. First off, I mean, how crazy is it? Like, we don't talk about the 86 Memorial Cup, but how crazy is it to host in Portland twice in a row? Like, that's like, that had, like, if we would have had the internet at that time, we had a Twitter at that time, I mean, I can only imagine, like, the, 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 the scuttlebutt, you know, in 1986. That tournament almost went, that tournament almost went to PA, and I found that out reading some old newspaper.com stuff. Um, PA and Portland were neck and neck. It was going to be a term like who had the best win percentage or point percentage at that point. But then they're like, yeah, this Raiders drink isn't going to work for hosting the Memorial Cup. So I ended up going to Portland. Well, I, I have a pretty good idea who's going to play a big role in whether or not Saginaw is able to do uh, get the role as host. And it'll be executives at the Sports Network because mm-hmm. they're the ones paying the money for the Memorial Cup. They're the ones handing out the airtime for it. And if they put their foot down and say, no American host, there won't be. If there is one, it's because they didn't feel like it would hurt their ratings. So we'll see what happens. I hope so, because I think it's a shame that the the U.S. markets haven't had that opportunity. But ultimately, it's come down to the sponsors and the broadcaster. I'm I'm sure that's the reason. Mm -hmm. If if they can break through, it would be wonderful, because the teams here have among the best fan bases in junior hockey, and they deserve the opportunity. That's the thing. It was any other team that was it was it wasn't the Greyhounds bidding for it. I would obviously want Saginaw to get it because it's been way too long. It's been in the states. All right, and with that, with the OHL Memorial Cup host debate, I think uh, I think that's going to call it a <laughs> night. So um, make sure to subscribe to your local paper. In this case, uh, doubly so, and uh, uh, stay tuned for our our Western. Uh, preview here coming up shortly and uh, uh, appreciate your time guys hey thanks for having us on as always cheers boys thank you